Hello, I'm Nick Turzo, and this is The Radical. My guest today is both a musician and visual artist. He and his band were mainstays of many Warp tours and signed the seminal punk label Epitaph Records. While the band continues, he has also gone on to a successful career as a children's book illustrator. His book collaborations with Dave Eggers, Mac Barnett, and the Decemberists, Colin Malloy, have all been widely recognized. We'll chat about the East Bay punk scene, the Match's unusual career, second chances, and creativity both sonically and visually. My guest is musician Sean Harris of The Matches. Coming up, my conversation with Sean Harris. Hey, Sean, welcome. Thanks for having me, Nick. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm excited to speak to you. I feel like I know you from afar <laughs> through a mutual couple of friends, but it'll be better to get to know you for real here. So I'm excited. Yeah, what are, what are your preconceived notions about me? <laughs> um, super creative. Okay. Um, willing to experiment. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Check. Okay. And I, and the curious part of this conversation for me will be, you know, the band when it was in its infancy stage and making studio albums and being creative, um, yes. kind of where you got in the public perception versus <laughs> when you broke up and then kind of started doing reunions and you have this unusually large following still. Uh, I find that really interesting, the line between those two. And, you know, it just, it's a tribute maybe to what you built during that time that wasn't as recognized by a larger public in a way. Um, so anyway. Yeah. Or maybe uh, there's there's also the the view that potentially we just like flooded the supply uh, and that maybe we've been working with a similar demand all of these years, but we just kind of incessantly toured and showed up and were in people's faces too much. I guess you have to make some music or art of like enough quality that people have the nostalgic spot to actually want to come back to it. And I think that that's an especially tricky thing to foster in the genre of music that we were known for playing, which was pop punk i certainly don't have much nostalgia for it well that's nice <laughs> yeah a lot of people kind of saw our band as sort of a bookmark to want to come back to um now coming up on 20 years later we can still book a show at the fillmore and sell it out it's kind of cool that's amazing and the band we're talking about is the matches which was sean's band which formed in high school right uh yeah we were a high school band they were actually a band in middle school but I met them at a Catholic high school in Oakland called Bishop O'Dowd. And with the band, I have to say, you guys, you know, you had this kind of medium level of notoriety or your fans are definitely hardcore and into you. The thing I thought you guys yeah. did the best, though, were your, your okay. actually your album titles. Okay. So I want to I go through a couple. I, I mean, it's the best album titles ever in the history of music, I'm convinced. So <laughs> the first one is Yvonne Dahl killed the locals. Yeah. Um, and we know what that we we'll talk about what that is. Okay. Uh, the yeah. other, your next one was decomposer, uh -huh. Uh -huh. and then my, my favorite is a band in hope. <laughs> yes, <So. laughs> that was our throw in the towel record. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I said a band in hope, not a band in hope. So uh-huh. um, yeah, well, it kind of started as one and it ended up clearly being the other meaning, right? <laughs> yeah, those were amazing yeah. titles. So thank you. Thank and the first one re- that, that that deals with your first name and someone owning the copyright on it is that what that referred to the yeah there was a we used to be called the locals when we were in high school there was a band in chicago called yvonne doll and the locals um and it was yvonne like y-v-o-n-n-e a woman's name uh and so we kind of turned her into a eastern european villain by turning her name into a three-part uh you know baron von whatever uh yeah yvonne doll basically creating this sort of semi-fictional villain for our fans to kind of rally against. It was never it was never pointed at the specific band, but our fans did know where it came from and, you know, hopefully they didn't get any like hate mail or anything. You guys kind of never fit a certain I mean, look, you're punk pop. Yes. I like how you've inverted that and put the punk first. It sounds cooler. Well, that's what I think it is. The I think the punk leads in certain... I do. I, I mean, I think... You know, I would say the same of Green Day, you yeah. know, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, there was a certain point when I think uh, people realized, oh, if we just flip this, then we're not embarrassed by the title anymore. <laughs> Yeah. So, but, but, but you guys tried other genres, you know, you kind of, how do I say your music maybe didn't fit in one box and didn't have a theme necessarily. Was that intentional is the question, or was that just being young? To be quite honest, I was never, uh, I was never like a, like a pure punk pop or pop punk, uh, head myself. Um, I was kind of more of a, more of a power pop, like, you know, Weezer, uh, the Clash replacements. I mean, Rancid was a big local band, Green Day band, and Warp Tour was like this force. Like, if you could get on Warp Tour, you could actually ostensibly form a career at the time that we were coming up, um, just from getting on that one tour for a summer. Um, so, I think when we were recording our first our first album, I mean, you know, we were we were kids going to Warp Tours and stuff, but like at that point, like we were also like Eminem was playing Warp Tour. Genre was like already sort of schisming and going all over the place. I There was, we did play with a lot of pop punk bands that were very like indicative of the kind of emo pop punk scene, but um, we were always kind of outliers, but accepted into that scene and appreciated being accepted and taken on tour by the likes of Yellow Card or something. But uh, there was there were very little similarities even between our most pop punk record and a yellow card record, I think. Um, So, yeah. And the East Bay scene at that time, I mean, I suppose that Rancid and Green Day maybe were five or six years ahead of you guys. Um, Explain the scene at that time. You know, I was too young to be going to Green Day or Rancid shows before they were commercial hits. You know, I was in middle school when those records were coming out on the radio, but I was going to see them play you know, Bill Graham Civic Auditorium. I was going to see them play in front of 20,000 people, 10,000 people, you know what I mean? Um, so it was it was a big thing. But then, you know, we it kind of filtered down. We found a bunch of local bands uh, that were, you know, either cut from that same mold. There was a band called Link 80 that was pretty influential on us in the early days. Uh, one of the members of that band went to my high school. So I immediately was like, oh, there's a path that I can potentially follow. What is he doing? You know, um, the scene that we had to kind of carve out for ourselves, uh, you know, we tried to get shows at the Gilman, which is, you know, where Green Day and Rancid Operation Ivy and those bands were famous for kind of coming out of that 
of that building even we were like catholic school kids we weren't quite punk enough to like really uh interest their booking agents you know in our late teens and we kept on trying and kept on trying and it never quite worked and then we found this this venue it was sort of a you know uh no offense to the owner brian who i'm still friends with but it was sort of like a failing business it was called i music cast um it was in oakland on telegraph avenue and you know not too far from the gilman they set it up to be a webcasting studio. And this is like, you know, really early streaming days. We're streaming right now, but yeah. I think I visited there with maybe your manager. Yeah. So. Yeah, that sounds right. They kind of set the whole thing up to be this like, this great idea where bands could play to a global audience from one location. However, they realized pretty quickly that they needed to get people in the room and tickets paid to come in and make it look like a real live show and nobody was drawing for them. So we actually were able to convince them to let some kids that were, uh, I think our drummer was still in high school when we booked that our first show there. We convinced them to let us be promoters and do our own show. Had our parents work the door because just to get the overhead <laughs> down because, you know, they were like... <laughs> Okay, here's our security cost for the night, and we're like, that's we're, there's no way that we're gonna sell enough tickets to make that. Like, can we bring security? You know, <laughs> can we bring a ticket taker? Um, and and we just like pulled all of our favors, egged all of our friends at school to to come, and um, and actually got uh, I think. I think the break-even point that we had to hit for them to allow us to do a second show was like 100 tickets. And we got like 103 people in there on the first show. So we are like, we get to do it again. <laughs> and the next month we were like, okay, we brought everybody we could at our school. We've got to like get other kids in here. And we just started going around to all the local high schools, figuring out when, when school was getting out and running through the halls, just throwing flyers into classrooms that were like being taught at the time, just, you know, flyers snowing down in hallways, uh, and we just really like made a nuisance of ourselves, but it worked. So we started trading shows with, you know, other bands kind of our similar size around the country that were doing national tours already. So like the Plain White Tees was an early band that we traded shows with. We traded shows with Sugar Colt and Zebrahead and the Real Big Fish came down and played our venue. Uh, it was pretty cool. And that's how we got on the radar of Epitaph. And then we became like a legit band from there. Yeah. Yeah. Were all three of those studio albums uh, epitaph albums? Uh, the first, the first one that you mentioned, Yvonne Dahl killed the locals. Was uh, we recorded ourselves? Was the major label thing good for you? I mean, that experience. I mean, they're I, I, I call them a major. I mean, they're major indie, right? But in your scene, they're definitely like a major in that particular genre. Yeah. 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 It was the majorest indie for sure. <laughs> was it a good experience? You know, it it really kind of uh, validated us on a on a national level. You know, we kind of caught the tail end of of the punkorama compilations being influential and kind of looked looked to by by kids as sort of a definitive catalog of what was coming out next season. <laughs> you know, yeah, that was great. And they they you know they offered a lot of clout for us to get on Warped Tour multiple times and to be able to kind of pitch larger bands like like a Yellow Card or like a Biffy Clyro in England to take us on tour because we had support, you know? <laughs> right. Well, you basically become, I mean, those are nice godfathers to have, right? You got Epitaph and you become a somewhat regular Warped Tour performer, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. Did you do yeah. much international touring or not? We did a lot of international touring. Yeah. We, one of our early connections was, um, was a band called Zebrahead. They were, um, playing with Papa Roach and I had never heard of either of these bands. I think we went to see, I think the headlining band was this band called Remy Zero. That was, I remember them. Yeah. I, I think they were, they had a song on the radio that I really liked, but they were more popular for the guy dating some famous model at the time. <laughs> it was a really weird show. Uh, but yeah, we saw Zebra, we, I saw Zebrahead there and I, and I loved them. They're like sort of pre Lincoln Park mixture of like punk rock and hip hop was interesting to me at 12 or 13 or whatever I was. Yeah. I mean, and you guys almost caught the last wave though of almost like an artist developing um, as a tour, you know, as musicians, right? I mean, you became way better musicians, right? So Zebrahead was the Lincoln Park of Japan. They were huge mm. in Japan and they took us to Japan like three times. And uh, after all the touring we did and we did some, you know, we played some pretty big shows. We did like, you know, basketball stadiums with yellow card and stuff. But like, of all the touring I've done, I've never had a more like, whoa, we're rock stars experience than touring Japan with a zebra head, which is like, you know, they remain to be like a very like underground, like, you remember that weird band that rapped over punk rock, like for a couple of years there, they were huge in Japan. And so we, we were able to keep going back to Japan and England and Europe were always really good for us. Our first tour ever, uh, we went to Bosnia and Herzegovina. We kind of fudged our way into being sort of like an American band that was booked sort of diplomatically to sort of patch up American and Bosnian sentiments to some degree. It was like it was like an outreach concert that was put together over there. And uh, our drummer's dad was like on on a board that. He, they, he was basically an American guy on a board with a bunch of Eastern Europeans that were wondering if he had any connections with American bands. And he threw our name in a hat and like they really thought we were coming over there. They really thought we were like some 41. And I remember that like my first Photoshop work was photoshopping a crowd in front of us or like us on just a stage at a real show and like submitting that is like, yeah, here's some of our shows. We had never played any you know for more than 20 people at that point and we got taken on the tour we'd played for 30 people and then all of a sudden we're playing to like 1500 people in sarajevo <laughs> <laughs> nice one nice bluff on your part yeah yeah it was a big bluff <laughs> so what's interesting is as a band though too with you guys is you kind of created like your own environment i mean meaning artwork um, that you got kind of started on, which led to where you are today and, you know, even designing your stage clothes, right. To, to that extent or not. Yeah. I thought I was going to be a tailor. Did you really? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I still really like fashion doing a weird niche on streetwear stuff with like patches and printing shirts still, which is what the band stuff taught me. Did you take the lead in both those things? Right. When we signed with Epitaph, I was trying to roll into the deal I was trying to get like a branding connection with Hot Topic where I could like have a, a, a basically a, a clothing imprint that they would help me get into Hot Topic. Hey, that was a that was a good plan. Being now well, where you're, you know, you have you 20 know, years very, plus to reflect mm -hmm. on the band itself. I mean, how do you look at the music now? I mean, like when you have to do a reunion show like you guys tend to do, I assume you would have done some this year again, like you do around the holidays. Yeah, we would have. I mean, we've been, we had a, a documentary come out about us this year we actually played uh, the opening 
a documentary up in the Bay Area here in San Jose. Um, and then everything shut down. Like the day after was when it was like, oh, this is really serious. We need to stay home. But yeah, that was the last show I played in public. We've been doing uh, Zoom events for for the for the film premiere. The film, I mean, this documentary is getting decent reviews, right? At a few festivals, has it won some awards and all that? Yes, I think. I mean, I from what I see, it's doing well. It's not my movie. It's 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 me in it and it makes me uncomfortable to watch, but like people, the fans and people are really enjoying it. And we've had, you know, a bunch of new people interested in the band um, through that. So that's cool. <laughs> so it's on like, but it's on like the, 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 the indie kind of film circuit, right? Film festival circuit. It's still doing premieres. And I, I guess, I think they're just stretching all these festivals are just stretching premiere season until, yeah, I don't know. I don't know when everybody's just sort of like holding their breath right now, right? For maybe being able to do a real event. What's the title of it? Uh, it's called Bleeding Audio. I think the subtitle might be a film about the matches. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, on an average year, though, like, what do you, is this what you roll out every year? Is it the same shows, same venues? I mean, does that kind of become a pattern now for you guys? Are you doing more, less, the same? We did a pattern of 10 year anniversaries for each of the three major records. I wrote a new record, you know, we had plans to record, but now we're just, those are sort of uh, by the wayside until there's a vaccine or we can safely congregate or whatever. So like when you guys kind of, I don't, do I call it a hiatus or do I say you guys actually broke up? I mean, which one was it? No, we called it a breakup. Our fans called it a hiatus. So you might find some mixed information online. <laughs> I didn't see it online. That was just me being, that was me being polite. They were right. So. They were right as usual. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you broke up. And then what space are you in at that point? Like, what are you thinking? Like, how did you get into your next career, so to speak, as a visual artist and illustrator? Well, by that time, I was actually working full time <laughs> as an art, as a visual artist, like, basically 90% of my income was visual art stuff. And then, you know, the band was kind of like floundering and barely breaking even itself by that point. Well, what I was going to say is when you kind of said you already had your visual art, you know, your artist career going simultaneously to the band at the end, like what did that encompass? What was that? What were those projects? What were you working on? I was doing album art for basically all the bands we were touring with. Um, A lot of bands that saw, that saw, like our tour posters and our shirts and and our records said, oh, cool, can you do ours? <laughs> so I was just, you know, that was my that was my business card, if you will, was doing the matches stuff. And so, I mean, you're, you're illustrator, you know, as an illustrator and a visual artist, I mean, it takes off though. I mean, you do incredible like merchandise work for people, right? You do children's books. Let's talk about those a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious. I mean, this transition into that. So I, yeah, cool. Yeah. I give you the floor. Tell me a little bit about that. It was sort of a natural gradient. Um, I kept getting jobs doing art for bands, but I was sort of like a guy that you call upon to do band work. But you know, as we got older and people that were part of the band world got jobs in other fields. A friend of mine, an old friend of mine, his wife became a a picture book editor and she knew me as an artist. I oftentimes worked in collage and there was a brief for a book that had specifically requested, I'd like to find a collage artist. So, you know, that narrowed the field a little bit. And I there was an opening for a non-picture book person to get a go at it. And I did some samples and got the job. And um, the author 
was a guy named Dave Eggers, very well-known New York Times bestselling author. It was a, um, an amazing first picture book gig to get. He was he was doing, uh, I think, his second picture book. So he was, you know, he writes novels and nonfiction for adults, but he was just sort of stepping into the picture book world there. And I managed to to get that gig and the book got a bunch of recognition, a bunch of awards. What was the title of that book? The book was called Her Right Foot. Her Right Foot. Um, yeah, sort of an op-ed for kids about the, uh, about the Statue of Liberty and what she means to welcoming immigrants coming to America. Mm. That, that led to another book and another book and another book. And I was illustrating those with Dave or with others. You mean with Dave? I did. I did. I did two books with Dave, and then and then um, actually my next book it was written by Colin Malloy, the singer of the Decemberists. Yep. He does picture books and middle grade novels. Anyway, he uh, I came across his radar via the Dave stuff and did a book with him. So I got to do a bunch of events with Colin Malloy this this last year as well. I've got a couple graphic novels coming in the works right now and a couple picture books that I also wrote. Um, and like I said, it's so funny, like just connecting with all these people that are like, I can't believe I was a fan of your band when I was 12. And now my 12 year old is reading your stuff. Like what is happening? It's kind of cool. <laughs> That's awesome. So how many books do you have like under your belt at this point? I've got uh, four out two more coming out this next year and then uh, two more coming out the year after that. The interesting thing about the book industry, it's kind of, it's kind of like a, like a really artist friendly version of the music industry, which isn't to say that there aren't, aren't artist friendly people in the music industry, but as a whole, you know, uh, the book industry is just very, very warm and favorable to its, the writers and and illustrators, which I found so refreshing and nice. I'm like, really? This is the way it works? Like that that's the royalty you want to give me? Okay, cool. Like I just started. You don't need to okay, cool. <laughs> you know, up until this year, I was going on book tours. So instead of playing venues, then it's, you know, playing bookstores and libraries. And when I say playing, I mean reading books and drawing on easels. But like it's fairly similar. Like you know how to work your crowd. You can kind of you can kind of easily parlay that into getting four-year-olds doped and moshing (laughs) and i mean are the graphic novels like your your own concepts and your own thing are you doing that in collaboration with someone it's a a thing i'm doing with with uh with an old friend of mine my oldest friend um this guy named mac barnett and uh so he's 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 the author and i'm the illustrator but it's it's actually they they came from the beginning of the beginning of the shelter in place orders all of a sudden we noticed like oh man, like all of these parents are like, what do I do with these kids in my house? And these kids are like, help, I have no schedule. I have no, everything changed so fast. And so immediately we started doing this, we called it a live cartoon. And it was sort of like a combination between like collage and puppet show, but I would film it so it looked like an animated cartoon, but it was just sort of like really crudely animated using like kind of like pop-up book and flip book concepts. Um, but we would do it live over Zoom it got really popular. And then, and so, yeah, we, we ended up called the first cat in space ate pizza. We got approached by a few publishers and um, yeah, now we're doing, now we're doing it as books. <laughs> I'll wrap this up so you can get on with your creative day as you like to. So um, in summary, I'm going to say the matches um, have really great album titles. You should go back and listen to their music. 
If I know they have diehard fans, so apparently fans, there's an album that's been maybe recorded and maybe it'll come out after 2020 goes away. That might be the premiere of that announcement. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I know you don't, I know you don't do the flashy announcements or anything, but yeah. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. I love a premiere. Well, wait till Pablo gets his hands on it. There'll be a flashy announcement. Trust me, watch my social channels. Um, and then, you know, you have these children's books and this illustration work you've done. that's just been incredible. And I just, I look forward to these novels you're doing, you know, based on something that was just kind of a giving back to people. Um, and it turned into something, which is really nice. So one last question before I let you go, and that is, what are you currently listening to that's incredible? Oh, cool, 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 cool. Good question. Let's see. Uh, first one that comes to mind is Micaiah McRaven, a jazz guy that records everything live and then uh, goes back in his studio and pe- and like collages all of the live recordings back together. So it's like, it's like an in-the-box modern album but with pieces of live jazz and i think and i think that i'm like i've been i've just been listening to live albums like i always hated live albums i was like well they're just like a crummier sounding version of like why who cares about live albums and then now that i've been in my house for you know nine months i'm like just the sound of a guitar player like breaking a string or like someone just like dropping the beat, like not on the one at all, or like, you know, somebody heckling the band, like all of these things are incredibly nostalgic and I'm just loving right now. So yeah, live albums. <laughs> that's a good, no, that's a really good selection because it people are missing that from their lives right now. So that's an interesting choice. So nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's awesome, my friend. Well, thank you for doing this. I, I love your energy and I love how you've taken your creativity down so many different paths. Um, it's impressive. Right on. Thank you for having me, Nick. My pleasure. And at some point, I look forward to seeing the matches live at one of their spectaculars. Yeah, hopefully we can get there. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Thank you for being on, Sean. Stay safe. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening this week. To follow what's going on with this podcast, you can go to theradicalpod.com. Theradicalpod.com. You will find show notes and past episodes and uh, even a little swag there if you want a t-shirt or a hat. I would be honored if you'd subscribe at Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next week.